0: So prayer, it can happen in the middle of a crowd, just like we have experienced today. It can happen in the middle of chaos, right? No matter what's going on around you, how much activity, it can happen in the middle of all that. But what we have discovered and what we've been after for the last several weeks is a model where Jesus has shown us, though, there are moments where intentionally, temporarily, we need to go into what we're calling airplane mode. Airplane mode is is when everything else is turned off, when everything else is shut out, and it's just time to spend with our Heavenly Father. today I want to dig right in. Matthew chapter six is where we've been. We're looking through the the Lord's prayer as Jesus is helping us to pray. And we've come to another request today that I think is quite interesting. I, I think there is so much help in what we find in this one verse today. Matthew chapter six, verse 13, Jesus said we can make this request. And lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from the evil one. That's the request. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now I want to encourage you. I think that is one continued thought. It is one statement, one request for God's protection. But here's the question I want to ask with just getting started. Do we really need to ask? Do we really need to ask that God doesn't lead us into temptation? It's like, does God lead us into temptation? We need to start today with a little bit at least trying to unpack that word, all right? So the word temptation that you see in Matthew 6 verse 13 is the word, I'm gonna give you some Greek, all right? Kofi knows 14 languages. All I know is to read a couple of extra little languages like Greek, all right? And I know a few words, this, this is one of the words that I want us to understand today. It's the word pyrosmos, pyrosmos. That's the word in this text that's translated temptation. Pyrismos. What it means is test. That's what the word means. When you just read Pyrismos in the Greek language, it means test. But I'm telling you that sometimes in your Bible, it's translated trial, and sometimes in your Bible, it's translated temptation. It may be translated trial in one particular passage. It could be translated temptation in another. In this passage, it's translated, as we just read, temptation. So let's go with that first. Lord. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Okay. Then what do we do with passages like James chapter 1 verse 13? Where the Bible says this. You ready? When tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. God, James says, is not tempting you. When you are tempted, don't pin it on God, right? He says it's actually by your own evil desire, and I've shown you this before. The best picture I know of this is fishing. Fishing. Think about a bait, a lure that is presented to a fish. So fish is swimming along. All of a sudden, there's this big, juicy, scrumptious whatever. And the fish sees it. And the fish is enticed. And instead of swimming the other way, the fish is hungry. And so by his own desire, he turns toward the bait. And because of the burn in his fishy stomach, he takes bite of the bait. And the next thing you know, he's dinner. It leads to death. That's the picture that James gives us. He says, you you don't get to pin that on God. God is not tempting you to sin, all right? So how are we supposed to work those together? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But James says he's not the one that tempts you to sin. Let's keep going. So why don't we try trial, all right? Instead of using the word temptation, what if it was the word trial here? Lead us not into trials right but deliver us from the evil one well then what do we do with James chapter 1 verse 2 because James chapter 1 verse 2 says consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters whenever you face what trials of many kinds consider it joy you should celebrate When you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. All right, time out. So the question I'm asking is why should we ask to be delivered from temptation, right? God deliver us from the temptation when... He doesn't lead us there and Why should we be asking against trials? Deliver us from trials when James says we should count it as joy when we find ourselves there in other words I just want you to see at first glance. It really does appear that however you deal with this word purismos there seems to be a problem plus I think it was an early church father who, who said it this way. He said, this particular petition, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from, evil, from the evil one, is the most natural appeal of human weakness as it faces danger. In other words, what he's saying is, this is the emotional cry of most all of our hearts as soon as we encounter a threat. What I mean is, okay, James tells me that in my trials, I am strengthened. In my trials, that's when I grow. In my trials, that's this perfecting work that's going on in me. I also realize that God is not the one who tempts me. He doesn't tempt me or anyone else to ever do anything wrong. But the truth is, I'm still asking for deliverance. I don't wanna go through those trials. I know they make me stronger. But my first, my first inclination is to go, get me out of this. Get me out of this. It's like a paradox. It's a paradox. But that's not the only place we see this paradox in the Bible. For example, now hang on with me here because we're going somewhere, and this is a big deal when you understand how all this works together. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. Same sermon on the mount. Jesus said, blessed are you. When people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. There it is again. You're going through struggles, people insulting you, somebody persecuting you. He's like, you can rejoice, man, because there's something magnificent going on in all that. A reward bigger than you can imagine. But then it says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 23, when you are persecuted in one place, do what? Do what? Do what? Run! Run. Well, which is it? Lord, what are we supposed to do? Am I supposed to stand and celebrate in the trial or or, or the persecution? Or am I supposed to run? And it is the kind of paradox that we see in Scripture where I think what is modeled for us is when persecution presses, we run. But in the instances where persecution catches us, we are able to celebrate that in the middle of that, God is doing something beautiful. You hear me? Persecution comes, he's like, run to the next place and tell them about Jesus. But when it catches us, we can celebrate in the middle of it that God is doing something beautiful even for you. Nobody likes trials. If you like going through trials, we really do need to talk. We do. We do. We really do need, you like trials if you seek trials. No, we tend to run from trials because there's this dread and there's this fear that's a part of our hurt, our heart, even though we know in the middle of the trials there's strength. In the middle of the trials, it's like exercising spiritual muscle. Jesus demonstrated the same tension. For in the garden, what did he pray? Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. There was something in his humanness, Jesus fully God, fully man, that he didn't want to have to walk through that cup of suffering, that cup of God's wrath, and yet it was through that very thing that he redeemed the world. There's something in my human heart that says, Lord, if you can spare me this trial, do it. But God, if I have to go through it, then will you deliver me from the evil potential that exists in this matter? Now, God... Again, doesn't tempt anybody to sin. He doesn't. That is completely against his heart. A God who is pure, a God who is holy. He's not going to set you up to sin. That's not what he does. But we know from Scripture that he does allow trials. Job, right? Who likes reading that story? Nobody, right? But in Job's story, God allows the enemy, he gives trials. But God doesn't do the tempting, Satan does the tempting in the middle of those trials. God may allow, we know from scripture like 1 Corinthians, he may allow even a believer, a follower supposedly who who is in sin, the scripture says, and refuses to, to repent from that sin. The scripture says that God may even allow for that person to be turned over to the enemy for the destruction of the flesh it says, but that's not, it's the enemy who's doing the destruction. God may permit Jesus to feel the assault of hell against him on the cross, but it's not God doing the tempting. It is the enemy who tempts, but God allows it. He allows all that is because he is in control of everything that is. And that should not be a problem for your theology, for your belief about God. This is something big, all right? This is what we wrestle with. God has to allow everything that is or it couldn't be. If he didn't allow it, it couldn't be. That's a part of what we believe about the sovereignty of God. He allows. There are times when God allows us certain trials. There are times when he allows the enemy to have a certain way. But God is not the tempter. But he does allow evil. Now look, I don't, I can't, I don't have the answer. It's like, why does God allow evil? I don't know. I don't know. And neither has anybody else ever since they've been asking that question. Maybe when we get to heaven, we'll see that as clear as we need to see it. Really. Maybe when we get there, maybe some of that will will certainly be put into more perspective for us. But God does not do evil. Or tempt us to do evil everything that proceeds from God is good and it's perfect but we got to keep this tension in our mind God allows certain things but those things are not an expression of his heart he allows certain things at times that are not an expression of his mind or his will or his character he allows them but he does not sin and he does not tempt you to sin. So back to the word, Pyrismos. Pyrismos. means to test. It's a trial or it's a temptation. Pyrismos is a neutral word. What I mean by that is it's not bad and it's not good. It's not bad and it's not good, it's just a test. That's the word. But in any test, there's the possibility that you can either pass or what? Fail. If you can't pass or fail, it's not a real test, right? You've heard me get on that kick, like the whole education thing. And it's like, it ain't a test if you can't fail it, right? If it's a test, you can either pass it or you can fail it. When God brings a trial into our life, there is always the possibility that that trial can be turned toward temptation and we sin. God brings the trial to exercise spiritual muscle, right, to mature us. But in the middle of that, if we don't see that trial like God sees, if we don't trust him as we walk through that trial, if we don't do that in his strength, then there is an enemy. His name is Satan. And he really can turn that trial then into sin. He can say, why would you trust a God who would take you through something like that? Why would you trust a God who could allow something like that? He can take those trials and turn them to where we would sin. By the way, the word, um, the part of the word pyrismos, asmos, just that little part of the word, A-S-R-A-S, yeah, M-O-S, it implies a process. It implies a process. In other words, this is how I would translate the prayer today. This is how I would translate the request. You ready? Lord, Don't ever lead us into a trial. In other words, don't put us into any process, don't put us into any procedure, any series of circumstances, any situation. Lord, don't ever lead us into a trial which would present to us a temptation that we will not be able to resist. Don't lead us into something that we can't handle. So let's say you lose your job for most people to lose their job would probably qualify as a trial right you lose your job you don't have income that's probably a trial in your life it's a test what you gonna do well if in that trial of losing your job you continue Although there is this struggle within your heart, you continue to just lean into God. And even in what you don't understand, you're like, I'm trusting him. He has always provided what we need. I mean, you know what? We might have to live in a smaller place. We might have to drive less of a car. We might have to do whatever and make some adjustments. But God has always provided what we need. So you know what, family? We are not going to stop trusting God now. We're going to lean into him. And even in the midst of this, we're going to know the joy of a good father who takes care of his kids. Pass! You pass the test. But what if in the middle of that trial, there's a whisper in your ear, you know why you lost that job. It's that jerk of a boss that you've got. If he hadn't have said that about you, if he hadn't have made that up about you, if he hadn't have done what he or she did, then you'd still have a job. I'd say it's about time for some payback. I'd say it's about time we went after his or her reputation Oh, and, and while you're at it, I, I feel free to you know what you could express the same to God, the fact that he would he would have you walk through such a thing that God would allow such a thing to happen in your life that God wouldn't protect you, and Satan, same circumstance, loss of job, on one end. There's an enemy who is working you toward the temptation of not trusting God, taking matters into your own hands, completely doing what you know God describes to be sinful, and on the other end of that thing, you've got a God who is working spiritual muscle in you. The test itself is neutral, but the outcome could either be positive or it could be negative. The good thing is, in those trials, what we know is that God is always working through those trials in a beautiful way in our life, always. First Peter, chapter one, verse six. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith Of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire may result in praise glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed in other words summary Peter's going trials are valuable to you they are valuable to you worth more than gold right if we really believe that it would actually change our perspective when we're in the middle of trials but most of us think gold is far more valuable we think gold is far more valuable than a faith that is stronger. He says in the middle of these trials, your faith is made strong. That's worth more than than gold to you, all right? But at the same time, this trial is prime territory for you to sin when an enemy convinces you otherwise. So lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's go back to the verse, verse 13. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God, don't permit us to be led into a purismos, into a test, which becomes an irresistible temptation that we can't handle. That word into, lead us not into, There are a lot of biblical scholars who take the Greek word that's there in the New Testament, and there is an equivalent of a Hebrew word that that, that would have been used. And and that word means into the power of, or we would say into the hands of. And I love that image. God, don't let us be led into the hands of the trial. In in other words, if the trial is around us, okay, okay. Trials going on around us, we're walking through this struggle, the loss of a job, the the, the loss of a loved one, whatever it is, we're walking through this trial, it's all around us. But God, we want to make sure you keep us in your hands, don't let our heart fall into the hands of the trial. God brings trials to mature us, to strengthen us, to teach us to trust him. In the midst of those trials comes an enemy with temptation. How do we do that? How do we handle it? Somebody you love dies. You lose a job. You're angry with your spouse or your kids. You got some conflicts in relationships. You're upset with your church. I'm saying whether it's financial or emotional or psychological or social or spiritual, it's growing time. It's growing time. But what you have to guard against is an enemy who in that same opportunity to grow would rather make you bitter and would rather make you angry. So how do we deal with it? Here's what James says. This is so, so straightforward. Listen to what he says. James chapter 4, verse 7. How do we deal with this? Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit yourselves then to God. What does that mean? How how do you do that? How do you submit to God? Well, if you are submitting to someone, it means that you are willing to do what they what? Say. It means you're willing to do what they say. You're willing to do what they say needs to be done. And so for us as the people of God, to live in submission to God means that we lean our lives fully into his word. For example. We lean into his word, we lean into the word of God and how, what God speaks to us there, what he tells us is right and what's wrong. That's what we lean into in the midst of our trial. Where is it that God reveals to us who he is? Where is it that God reveals his will? When we are able to take the word of God that that we call the Bible and we are able to read those God breathed words. And then when we enter a trial, we go through a struggle, Our goal is to begin to order our response to that trial according to the principles of God's word. We submit to Him. And in that way, He says, when you submit to Him and you do, you act, you respond the way God says you respond, He says, when you do that, you are resisting the devil and He will what? He will run he will run, there is no place for him in the midst of submission to God and obedience to God. It's God's word that we hide in our heart that we might not sin against him. Ephesians said that God's word is the sword that enables us to fight this spiritual warfare. When we submit to the truths of God's word, we resist the devil and he runs. And that trial that you're going through never becomes an irresistible temptation where you would sin against God. I don't like trials. I don't like it when people I love die. I don't like it. I don't like it when people I love hurt. I I do not, in those moments, say, Lord, this is a trial. I know that you are building spiritual muscle in my life. This is wonderful. Bring it on. I don't. I don't pray that way in the midst, in the middle of a a trial, I don't. And I I don't think you saw Jesus pray that way. What I do try to pray is, Father, I really would prefer this will go a different direction. In my heart, I really would like to see, see somebody healed here, God. I really would like to see this provided for this person, God. I really would like to see something change here, God. But but if this trial fits your will and your plan, then will you protect me through it? That when I come out the other side, and key phrase, we'll come out the other side. I, I want to be like those three Hebrew boys that we we learned about in Daniel, they, they had to go through the fiery furnace, but on the other side, they didn't even smell like smoke. Like God, I wanna come out the other side of this trial with no scent of sin anywhere around my heart. I want to trust you. Do you think God helps us? Do you think he protects us from sin in trials? Your answer should be yes, because he's actually made that promise to you. Here's the promise, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Here's what he says, no temptation, there's our word, no purismos, no testing, has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out that you can endure it. So he's like, all right, you're going through a trial, but here's what I got. News for you, you are not the only one in the history of humanity who has gone through this trial. In fact, there have been bunches of people throughout history who have gone through this trial. I know it's a big deal. I know it hurts like crazy. I know it feels like your whole world is crashing in. But you are not the only one who has ever faced this trial. And you know what? God is faithful. He is always faithful. He's always been faithful to those who have gone through them before. He's going to be after. If God is not faithful to you in this trial, you're going to be really famous because you're going to be the first person in the history of God that he was not faithful as you walk through this trial. He has promised to never leave you. He didn't say most of the time. He didn't say, hey, I got one out of 10 of these. He said every trial, he gives you enough. He will not ever allow you to be Pirazzo, tested, tried, or tempted above what you are able. He will always make a way out. And you know the way out? Through. Through. In other words, this is the answer to our request. Jesus said, pray, lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into trials, but deliver us from the evil one. And God says, all right, I will never let you be tempted or tried beyond what you can bear. In other words, when we're praying, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Do you understand that all we're really doing is claiming a promise that God has already made to us? Do you understand that's really what Jesus teaches us about prayer all the time? When he says, God, will you meet my basic needs? Will you, God, provide today our daily bread? What are you praying for? You're praying for something God's already promised, right? He said, I'm gonna meet your needs, so I want you to, to join me in asking for what I've already promised. When he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, that is a promise that God has made. You are laying claim to that promise under the condition. What's the condition? You submit yourself to God. You are obedient to him. That sums up the prayer today. So here's why I want to leave you. How come we don't do this better? How come we don't get this right more often? How come we don't do less whining and less griping about going through our trials and we don't have a little better perspective on on, on what is sometimes going on around us? Why is it that we struggle when we ask for something and then it doesn't happen? I want you to know you are not alone in that struggle. And I want you to know that some of the greatest people of faith had the same struggle. Did any, does anybody know that the Apostle Paul, all right, Paul, we're talking about, right, like the greatest missionary in the entire history of the world, all the churches that he planted, we're talking about planting a church, all the churches that he planted, right, all, all the, the miracles that he saw done, Anybody know that Paul had a prayer request that God didn't grant? Do you know that? Let me read it to you, just so you'll believe me. First, or 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, we don't know what the thorn is. All right, people have guesses what the thorn is, and this is what we end up doing. We'll spend all our time trying to figure out what the thorn is and miss the point of what Paul's trying to say to us. Whatever the thorn was, here's what he says. Verse eight, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest in me. Whatever the thorn was, it was painful. Whatever it was, it was a trial in Paul's life. And three different times he asked for it to be taken away. In other words, he was diligent. He was persistent, just like Jesus tells us to. you got to keep asking. You should keep talking to your heavenly father about this. That's what Paul did, and it was not taken away. So my question is, does that mean that Paul did not have enough faith? Does that mean that Paul did not have enough faith? Because that's where we go. That's where we go. I'd say Paul had enough faith. From what I've seen of Paul's life, anybody really read those miracles that Paul saw happen? Supernatural stuff, basic, right? daily basis where he's watching the hand of God do things that nobody, how many other people got healed when Paul prayed for him? How many other people, right, were rescued from whatever the pain was in, in their life? I'd say he had enough. He had enough. I, I'm not going to read it to you, but you, you know, you can read it in Matthew where, where Jesus said, if you have faith as small as what? Anybody know? A mustard seed. That's really, 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 really tiny. He's like, you got this much faith? You can see mountains move. Now, come on. We like that talk. That's what I'm talking about. Let's move some mountains, right? Because that, that's the problem. We got mountains that need to be moved, and we don't even have to have this big giant, right, scoop full of faith. All we got to have little bitty mustard seed of faith and, and, and mountains can move. Did Paul have enough faith? Yes, Paul had enough faith, but Paul understood faith is about trusting God who knows what's best. Faith is not about making God do what I think is best. And that's where we clash. Faith is about trusting what God knows to be best. Faith is not about making God do what I think is best. Remember the prayer of those three Hebrew boys I reminded you of? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're like, you know what? We're we're, we're not going to bow down. We're not going to bow down. And here was their statement. Our God can deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. That is submission to a God that they trust in. They're like, look, we know our God. He's big. He can do it. He can deliver us easy as anything. But maybe that's not what his will is here. Maybe that's not his plan in this moment. And even if he does not rescue us, we are going to submit to him. And he says, we don't bow down to any other gods. We're going to go with his word. They had faith. This is where we get all messed up. We think that if we believe enough, then we can convince God to do what we want. Now, don't get me wrong, God tells us to pray, and he tells us that prayer is powerful. It is powerful in seeing things move and seeing things happen, but when we don't see God do what we wanted, what often happens is those of us who are praying, we suddenly feel the guilt because it's like, I didn't have enough faith to help my child. If I could have just believed more, then my child could have been rescued. If I could have just done whatever more, if I could have trusted more, this would be different. And No. No. Who gives you faith? God gives you faith, Right. We, we know the verse, it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. God really does give you the ability to believe, and when you choose to receive and believe, even the grain of mustard seed, the little bitty bit of faith, when you trust him, it is enough to move the mountains that God wants moved, but sometimes what I think needs to be moved is not the best move. So, as band comes on up, and we're gonna sing here in just a moment, here's my question to you. Do you pray this prayer? Like seriously, do you pray this prayer? Do you pray this prayer for your family? Because man, when we get this out of whack, we get all messed up, don't we? When we don't understand faith, we can, we can just mess people up. It's like, do you pray for your spouse regarding this prayer? Do you pray for your kids? So much of my prayer has just been turned toward next generation's that's why we're getting all crazy about our talk about, you know, how we've got to pour into our little ones. We have got to pour into our students. As, as people of God, we have got to make, this is not an option for us, we have got to. Why? Because in case you don't know, there is an enemy and he will steal. And is anybody else just tired of a constant news feed? I mean, come on, it happened again this week. And a young lady walks into a restroom at school and takes her life, takes her own life, which means somebody convinced her that there was no hope. Anybody know who does that? That is an enemy, that is an enemy. And I'm just telling you, we are not going to stop talking about what we have to pour into our kids. It's my, the picture of how the vault fits into all this. I'm, I'm excited to tell you that we have um, worked something out with a, a young lady in Heart of Life Church. Her name is Amber. Some of you know Amber. Amber has done the, the hard work of going to school, and, and she, is, she is equipped to help with counseling and that sort of thing. Amber is going to jump on board with us. And once a month, um, starting the 15th of October at 5 o'clock at the vault, there is going to be what I call just an open opportunity where all students can come. Middle school can come, high school can come. Now, it'll be done by 6 because at 6 the middle school event kicks off every Sunday night. But Amber's going to use the gifts that God has given her to help hopefully walk some of our students. Down some paths of God's truth, that we are fighting the best we can an enemy who wants to tell them there is no hope. I'm not against technology, so I'm not against, you know, Facebook and all that jazz, but here's what I do believe I believe it is probably our enemy's greatest tool for convincing next generations that their life is not worth living it is a tool that is used to paint a perspective that I'm telling you he just has a way of blinding enough is enough church and it is time for the people of God to lock arms within the hands of God and may we fight for our next generations, whom God died and rose from the dead for, they just need some people to love them toward the truth. May we be the church. God, I'm asking you to help us to fight. But God, instead of spending all of our time fighting against you at moments where something's not happening the way we want it to happen, God, we pray and we pray because we want to see it and it doesn't unfold that way and we spend all our time in bitterness and anger. God, help us to see what an enemy is doing. And will you give us a right perspective of faith that is not trying to manipulate you, but it's faith that trusts you. God, I pray for marriages. I pray for for parents and children. I pray for friendships. I pray for us as a church. God, that you would give us a right perspective of faith and that we may be the people of God who see an enemy silenced and have to run because we submit to you. It's in the name of Jesus that I ask it.